Everyone knows money doesn't grow on trees, but are there other money myths affecting your life? We went to the experts to get the honest truth about money. How much, how much do you think your mama and daddy have in the bank right now, money-wise? How much? Yeah, they have a hundred. Will more money make you happy? Sometimes. What? How much? How much money do you think God has? How much money does He have? A uh, hundred dollars. Does money make your problems go away? No. So all the money in the world doesn't make your problems go away? No. Oh, okay. If you could buy anything you wanted to buy with your money right now, what would you buy? iPad. A Spider-Man costume. A penguin. How do you earn your money? Do you do jobs? Uh, no. We just find them all over the place. Just find it all over the place? So where is your money? Is it like in a bank, piggy it's, bank? It's actually at my dad's bank. It's called the daddy bank. <laughs> I have a bag that says save and I put my, my money in there that I save. Oh, okay. How much money have you saved so far? Um, I think five or four. Do you think he has money? How much do you think God has? Well, happy Sunday, everybody. We are so thrilled that you're here with us. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, anybody joining us at other campuses, South San Jose, Sunnyvale, Fremont, last but certainly not least, North San Jose. All right, there's a few people awake at North. We're glad you're here. We're in week number two of our Money Myths message series. I want to I stop for just a moment, though, and talk about the significance of watching people get baptized at all of our campuses today. It never gets old to me to watch people who've made a decision to follow Jesus go public with that decision and to think of their story and to know that it's not just a person going into the water. There's a story. Last service, I watched... Um, there was a young woman who got baptized, and it was very clear that her mom and her grandma and her grandpa were all there watching. And there was this man who's probably in his 70s, and I was watching this guy who was wiping away tears. And we said when we started our church, we want to be the answer to some grandma's prayers. We want to be, and that, that was it. That was the vision being accomplished, that there, there's some mom, some grandma praying for that young woman. And when you, when you serve, when you pray, when you bring your friends, when you invest in this ministry, you are seeing, you are partnering together with our church to see people's lives transform. In the first service today at North, I watched a student. I know the mom who'd been praying for that student. I watched him go in the water. I'm thinking of all the things that are happening with student ministry and lives being changed. It's just a privilege. I don't want us to rush past and for, for it to get old to us, that we get used to it. Sometimes we get used to God blessing us. And one more time, I just want to thank God. I want to say thank you, God, for letting our church be a part of seeing people's lives change for all eternity. So if you're grateful, just put your hands together with me. Well, today as we continue our series, um, I was thinking this week about a documentary I watched recently. It's on the life of Billy Graham. It's on Netflix. So um, if you get a chance, I encourage you to go watch it. It's awesome. Billy Graham is arguably um, one of the most used people by God in the last several hundred years of human history. Just on uh, countless occasions, God used his life. Millions of people were touched through the message. And there was a point at which Billy Graham started sensing from God that he was to take his message global. So he was doing these big rallies where people come together. He'd 
talk about Jesus, lives would be changed, and he knew he needed to go overseas with this. So he goes behind the Iron Curtain into Russia. He starts going to China. He's doing, it was controversial at the time for him to go to these places, and people's lives were changed, and they, they started criticizing him. They're like, you're just preaching the exact same message when you go to China or Russia or in the United States, and he made a comment that hit me. He said, you know, I preach the same message because everywhere I go, people have the same issues. That as humans, deep within our soul, we have physical issues, and we're all asking the same questions across the world. Every culture, rich and poor, a part of the beauty of when we come together, when you look in the rooms in our churches, you have incredible diversity, ethnic diversity, age diversity, socioeconomic diversity, and we all have the same needs, and we're all asking the same questions. And one of the questions that you are asking and I'm asking, you've been asking it your whole life, and it's the question, how do I find happiness? How do I find truth? true, lasting joy is my life. And you've done a lot of things. Maybe even you moved to the United States for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you're, you're trying to find it in different places. And what you do to find happiness and the way you use money says a lot about what you believe about happiness. It says a lot about your value system and what you think actually will make you happy. And all of us have done some things with money to make us happy that later, afterwards, we regretted them. Maybe a way of saying it would be through a question. What purchase did you make to make you happy, but it made you miserable instead? I bet you if we pass the microphone around with that one, we could have some fun together. How many of you have done some stupid things with money to make you happy? Just raise your hands. At North, I see about 40 hands going up. All the liars, go ahead, put your hands up now, okay? It's, it's amazing, though, the things that we'll do. I have stories. I could tell you a lot of stories about dumb things I've done to make me happy with money, and in the end, I was miserable. One was a timeshare. I don't have time to tell you about the timeshare. We sat through this long presentation. This is right after Stacy and I first got married, um, and uh, one of the other ones, though, was when we first got married, we lived in Texas. This was like the height of the, the, the real estate issue in the United States. So this was back when they were like, if you could breathe, they would approve you for a mortgage. And so we went in. If you've seen the movie Big Short, this was like if we, were, we were poster children for the Big Short. So you, we go into the mortgage lender and they bring you in and they do this like credit report. Well, at this point, we're like 22 years old. So we have no credit, but they do it anyways. And then they give you like the kind of, they break it down. Like this is what you're approved for, right? And they make you feel really special. Like, you know, you guys are an amazing couple. You're the future of the United States of America. And we've approved you. And now at the time, I'm in grad school. Stacy's in grad school. We both have part-time jobs. We should not have gotten approved for a mortgage, y'all. So they, they sit down with us and they're like, and here's your amount. And it's like 10 times our income. And there's like, there's no way we can pay this, but they approved it. So then they hook you up with a real estate agent, right? So you go to the real estate agent. Now, God bless real estate agents. We have a number of them in our church and we're grateful for you. But they're smart. Real estate agents are smart. They have strategies they use and they never, never do they start you with the nicest house, right? So they start you with the house that, you know, it's like a spider comes out of the wall and wood's fallen and the foundation's slanted and, you know, you look up and the ceiling's cracked. You're like, okay, let's get out of here. So it gets nicer. And finally we got to the final house and it's the nicest house. Carpet's new. You smell it when you walk in. The walls are freshly painted. The backyard's nice. New brick on the outside. The new house. And at the end, they sit down. They don't ask, do you want to buy? They ask you this question. Which one do you want to buy? 
And so we pulled out the pen, we signed on the dotted line, and we got ourselves in bondage. It was miserable. For the first five years of our marriage, we fought over this house all the time. If I could tell you the number of money fights we had over that one decision, I mean, it was miserable. We went through a Dave Ramsey course. Uh, Maybe you've been through, we actually have groups on the Dave Ramsey course that are very helpful. But once we went through David Ramsey's course, I realized that was stupid. It was just really, really dumb. It made us miserable. You have stories like that too. Things that you purchased, the carpet smelled good for a few weeks, but then afterwards it wore off and you were miserable based upon the bondage that you experienced. We've been saying with this series, money myths lead to money misery. Money myths lead to money misery. Misery. We believe some myths in that moment that made us make a foolish decision. And when we understand wisdom, when we understand the wisdom of scripture, we understand the wisdom of other people who have gone before us and made good decisions in any area of our life, whether it's finances or our marriage or whether it's how you go about making a decision, which college you're going to go to, there's wisdom, it changes us. But when we get folly, when we make decisions based upon things that are not true, we experience misery as a result. We believe that God wants to bless your life here as a church. And sometimes people, we say this, get funny when you talk about money. And the challenge with churches is that we've all had negative experiences to some degree with money. And some of us have had bad experiences with churches. And what happens often is that people can think that the church is after their money. And I want to say very clearly, it's not about what we want from you. It's about what we want for you. That's why we're doing this series. And we believe that when you understand the truth and you compare the truth with the myth, it leads to, when you act on the truth, freedom with your life. So today we're going to look at myth number two. If you have notes, when you walked in, you received a program. There's a place you can write down um, some of these notes that will help you and you can take it and apply it later this week in your life. So myth number two we're going to look at is this. My money is for my happiness. Maybe you've believed that before, that the money that's in your hands, that you could use it, maybe even you've said, I can buy happiness. Maybe you didn't say it, but you did it. And you bought something. You bought a house. You bought a car. You you bought maybe some clothes. You maybe tried to buy a friend, going out for a good, nice meal. But you tried to buy something, but it didn't make you happy. You believe the myth, my money is for my happiness. And it's connected to some subsidiary beliefs also. The, 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 uh, one other belief you might believe if you believe that is if I get more, I'll be more happy. So fill in the blank what the more is. So just... More friendships, more, more house, more clothes, more, 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 more happiness. In addition to that, we also oftentimes believe that I work hard to earn everything I have. You've heard people say this before. I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. And it's a myth. Who gave you the hands you have? Who gave you the feet that you have? Oftentimes, these myths are holding us captive. I love what Jim Carrey, the famous actor, also the cable guy. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. We've done that before with our lives. We, we got to a destination. The destination didn't fulfill us. And R- Jim Carrey is saying, I hope that everybody experiences that so that they can know the truth. Well, what is the truth? Where do you find lasting joy? So here's my big question. If there was a way to use money to get lasting joy. So if you could take what's in your hands and you could use it to get lasting joy, would you want to know 
the answer? Would you want to know the solution? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to go to God's word. We're going to go to the scriptures and Matthew chapter 25 to deal with that question. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, and it will also be on the screens. Now, Jesus is teaching in this story. Matthew, the sinner or the tax collector who's changed by Jesus, who spent time with Jesus, who, who would have actually heard Jesus tell this story, later would write it down. So Matthew, the, the gospel or the book of Matthew is a collection of stories of an eyewitness account who was with Jesus. And he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now notice this. Jesus was all about his kingdom. He taught about his kingdom more than any other subject. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, he talked about prayer, talked, he talked about heaven, he talked about hell, he talked about faith. He talked about money more than all of those. And more than that, he talked about the kingdom of heaven. Now in this story, Jesus is going to bring together the kingdom of heaven and the concept of money and how the two of these work together. And I, I want to say, as a pastor, one of the greatest wins that I could have as a pastor is that you would go back and you would actually read the Bible Monday through Saturday. Like, the, the biggest win for me is not that you think God speaks to, to you through me as a pastor. A bigger win is if you believe on Monday when you pick up the Bible, God can actively work in your life and speak. Maybe not an audible voice. I've never heard one of those. But in your heart that God can speak and lead. So, as I teach, part of my goal as a pastor is to help you see how to think about scripture in a way that you can go back yourself and read it and hear from God's will, his will for your life. So when I walk through, oftentimes I will highlight verses of the Bible. It's like, it's not a sin to write in your Bible. There's no angel over your shoulder about to smack you if you write in it. So go ahead, write in it, highlight it on it if you have the Bible app. And let, and let those words pop off the page. Sometimes I'll pray, God, help me see what you want me to see. Open my eyes to see wonderful things that are in your word. So these are different spaces as I'm reading through that God brings things to light. So it says that he, Jesus is teaching. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. That means that Jesus would teach in stories. He would give illustrations, very practical for people in their daily lives. So now this story is about a man. And it's about a man who went on a long trip. Notice how he gives this phrase long trip. That means that the man is leaving, he's coming back, but we don't know when he's coming back. Well, why does this matter? It matters because what the man does next. It says, he, the man, called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Let's read it together. If you, when you see the yellow, read with me. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. It was his. He took some of what was his and he gave it to them. So this, this is the foundation of understanding how God sees money. It's all his. Psalm 24 in the Old Testament says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So when God talks about money, it's not like God needs money from you. God has it all. God wants to bless you, and what he wants for you is true riches, and he entrusts to us in our hands some of his resources. So the first fact that I want to drill down into is that God owns all of it, and he trusts us with some of it. God, God owns all of it, and he trusts you and I with some of it. The foundation for understanding a, a biblical mindset about money is to understand that everything that is in your hands belongs to God and you are a steward. You're a steward 
of the resources that God has placed in your hands. Um, recently, I had a friend of mine. So last week, I kind of, I made a joke and I have to be really careful about this and my messages. So I said, if you have a luxury car, don't feel guilty, just let me borrow it. And I was joking, I was joking. And my friend messaged me. He's like, hey, I'm going out of town. I have a really nice car. You want to borrow it while I'm gone? And I was like, sure, I'll borrow it. So he lets me borrow it for this week. And I have a really funny relationship with my Nissan Leaf. So my kids ride in the car and I am, I am constantly trying to get, keep my kids from ruining the car. It's unbelievable. One of my kids has ruined the dashboard because he puts his shoes on in, in the car. And like, this is not the only thing that this child has ruined. So one time he's putting the shoes on, his foot slips, cracks the, cracks the windshield. It's just, it just, oh, I could tell you lots of stories. But um, so it's kind of like the parents, you, you know this feeling, like your kids, they trash your car. And I, ne- I, I still cannot understand why parents let their children put stickers on the windows. You guys seen that? I am judging you if you do that. <laughs> I have like, and it's sometimes it's like a full tat stick. You know, it's like 50 stickers on the car. I mean, I get it if it's like one and you got to peel it off. But I mean, so I just like, man, in and out and everything you can think of is up there. And um, so I'm always trying to keep my kids from like ruining stuff. And so my friend loans us this car and my kids go to sit in the car and I'm like you will not drink anything you will not bring water food you will not touch the car you will sit there you will not even breathe in fact stick your head out the window to breathe (laughs) that because I am not sending this car back with a problem with it that's stewardship that's that's the feeling of this is not mine and he's coming back, and when he comes back, I better give it back better than I found it. That, that is what Jesus is saying, that he, God entrusts you with his resources. He gave his resources to his servants, and he entrusted them, he left, and he would come back eventually. So here's a question. If you were hiring someone to manage money, would you hire you? Got real quiet there. No amens on that one. And if I'm honest, there have been seasons in my life I would not hire me to manage money by the way I manage money. And so God gives us an opportunity to switch our perspective. God thinks like that. God is an investor. He's wanting a return on his investment into your life. And you see in this passage of scripture, Jesus is going to highlight how he thinks. So he starts and it says, the master who represents God gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, notice, in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Now, I want us to see how it's not the same for everyone. And oftentimes we get confused. You know, the master chooses how much he gives to each of us. It's kind of like, it's very similar to the Golden State Warriors. Like, people get game time, based upon their abilities. And like there are certain players, like let's say Cook, for example. Like all we need out of Cook is one or two baskets, my friend. Just make one or two. That's all we need, just one or two shots. And we have players like Steph Curry, we expect a little bit more out of them. And see, God is like that as well. He gives, he gives more playing time or more resources. And when he finds faithfulness, he, he wants 
us to multiply what he's placed into our hands. God is wanting to bless the world and he's finding people who will multiply what he gives to him. So the master gives these different talents and it says the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. Now notice this word right here. He began to invest. So he thinks different. I wonder in some way why the master already knows in advance their ability and choose it. What is it he's choosing? There's only a few hot things that we can deduce from the passage that would play into why he goes five, two, and one. Maybe he already knew. Maybe he already had experience with them that he knew what they would do. Well, the one with five, what did he do? He invested. The servant who received the five began to invest the money, earn five more. The next one with two, he says, with two bags went to work. So both are of great value. He went to work and he earned two more. So the one who invested it went five, five. The one who had two went two, two. So he put it to work. But maybe, just maybe, there's a difference between investing and working. It's not that one of them is bad. It's just a higher value to think multiplication with what God has put into your hands. How can I take what he's given to me and multiply it? Not just grind. Grind is great. Working hard is great. But there's a kind of investment where God looks for stewards that will take what he gives and multiply it. He gives five, then he gives two, and then the last one, the servant who received the one bag of silver, what did he do? He dug a hole in the ground. He went in his backyard, got a shovel out, put it in the ground, covered it up. He put it in a mattress. He hid it so that ultimately the master, when he came back, he would give him exactly what he had given to him when he left. And the fact number two that I want to drill down into is that more money does not mean more happiness. So the five, the two, and the one. So imagine the scenario. The way that the story, the the parable reads is when the master comes and he entrusts to each of the servants, they would have all been there. They would have all been watching as he entrusts. So you're like, you're there and one guy gets the Tesla and you get the Nissan Leaf. And you're like, why did he get the Tesla and I got the Nissan Leaf? I mean, what is it about me? And there, there's something 